KBC. This is the Happy Hour with your hosts, Richie Roy, Chick Maxson, and Johnny Mack. Your source for conversation, current events, culture, and all things LGBTQ. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Happy Hour. Hi Hope there. You're having a hello. Hope you're having a good Thursday so far, everyone. Um, as we're kind of creeping towards the end of official summer with Labor Day approaching, um, I'm sure many of you have offices that are pretty empty this week. I know mine is. Um, how are you doing, uh, Johnny Mac? I'm good. Thank you. It's the end of summer, officially, sort of. Yeah. That's how people like to look at the Labor Day weekend. And I don't know any section of the country that's not looking forward this year to the end of summer. I remember as a kid (laughs) how we we never wanted it to end. But I can honestly say that as hot as it has been, especially here in the Southwest this year, I'm I'm ready for I'm ready for fall. Autumn, come yeah. on in. Well, unfortunately, I don't know if if it's similar uh, in in Palm Springs, but here in uh, in New York State, what tends to happen is um, summer extends, you know, far beyond Labor Day. Then there's a beautiful like two day period where there's this cold snap, and it just the air is crackling with that kind of fall feeling and you're just like oh we're here it's fall and then you get a torrid heat wave that comes back again to just like bedevil you um and then eventually it kind of whimpers into actual fall yeah so you get a little bit of indian summer there too oh big time yeah oh yeah i will tell you this it is not unusual for us to still see triple digit heat into the early part of november not as a mainstay, mm-hmm. but as uh, something that makes an occasional guest reappearance. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And but I'm so, I'm looking forward. To, I mean, when we normally are in November, the traditional highs are around seventy-eight degrees, which is beautiful. Oh yeah, love that. So uh, we've got a jam-packed show today for you. Um, we've we got some. Various topics, um, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking about some of these. Um, the first one uh, is pretty interesting, and I think I think we've talked about this subject before, but um, we'll talk about it now. And you know, because it sort of has come, it's percolated back into the news. But um, Pope Francis recently didn't mince words about American. The certain swath of American Catholics and basically talked about the fact that there are uh, a big, a decent chunk of American Catholics, and I think especially those who are in power um, as bishops and archbishops and whatever, um, who are extremely retrograde and extremely focused on just certain certain issues over other issues um for instance being focused on abortion and not thinking about the poor or immigrants or a lot of other types of uh you know populations that are uh in need 
And that, you know, at least according to Pope Francis's version of Catholicism, um, and, you know, are people who are worth ministering to and thinking about. So it yeah, was interesting. He, he has talked about, uh, uh, and some of this comes from reporting uh, this week in the New York Times, but he has talked about, uh, well, lamented the backwardness of some American conservatives who he said insist on a narrow, outdated, and unchanging vision, and they refuse, he says, to accept the full breadth of the church's mission and the need for changes in doctrine over time. And I mean, that's one of the things I like about this guy, because he understands that as the world moves on and as we progress through time and through you know, the evolution of people having an understanding, a greater understanding of the world we live in today, that there are some things that we have to have to adapt and adopt to. And while he is 86 years old, uh, he told a group of fellow Jesuits earlier in the month at a meeting at the World Youth Day celebrations in Lisbon that in doing this, you lose the, quote, true tradition and you turn to ideologies to have support. In other words, ideologies replace faith, end quote. And I know he's been very unpopular with the more conservative leadership in the Catholic Church, and especially cardinals and bishops, archbishops in the United States, where there have been some hornlocking going on. But he's still the pontiff, and, uh, you know, I hope he's around as, as long as possible as far as, you know, Catholic doctrine uh, goes in terms of, you know, what they do. Uh, I know that there was a lot of unhappiness when he ascended to being the Pope, but, you know, this it was this same kind of thinking that Pope John Paul I had that led him to, I think, probably a record short period of being the Pope before he died which some have alleged was him being taken out by powers that be at the Vatican, because he too had very progressive stances on how things needed to uh, happen in terms of church doctrine. So um, I'm glad that he's stood up to it and that he has said, especially with regards to all of the homeless and the immigration issues in the United States and the ministerial work that the church does with uh, groups like the LGBTQ people, that that they need to be welcomed into the church, not turned away. So um, kudos to Pope Francis. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it, it, it really makes a lot of sense to me, um, just you know, knowing that he's a Jesuit, because... You know, I went to a Jesuit high school, and it was an all-boys high school, and was by and large a bunch of rich white boys. And the Jesuit priests were adamant about focusing on social justice, people of color, poor people, serving, you know, sort of service as kind of a, a modality for what it means to be a practicing Catholic. And... It just, it all kind of is of a piece. Um, and I remember, you know, I just, it was so interesting to me because I know some people who aren't um, of the Catholic faith, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't consider myself religious. I'm, I'm an atheist now, but I, I do think I was brought up in a Jesuit tradition, you know, in my education. But um, uh, 
it's so it's so different than diocesan schools because I went to a diocesan junior high, um, and the closed mindedness and kind of just sort of conservative, sort of sort of cons- small c kind of just conservative, small minded values that kind of came out of. I remember. Um, one year, it wasn't my graduation from eighth grade, but it was the year before the diocesan Monsignor took the opportunity of the eighth grade graduation to rail against the Simpsons as being sinful. Oh, brother. You know, it just that kind of stuff, just this sort of small potatoes, small minded, low education kind of Catholicism. Um, and you know, I do really think that there are, you know, there are different flavors of Catholicism, um, especially, you know, in, in the United States, but the Jesuits are kind of, you know, reliably pro-education, pro-progressive stances, pro-social justice. And to have a a Jesuit as the Pope, um, is really meaningful. And I think it, it probably just drives a lot of these sort of more conservative, closed minded Catholics crazy because, um, especially when you see the growth of the of the Catholic Church is really expanding in places like Africa and certain parts of Asia, and there's a flavor of conservative Catholicism that's very alluring in some of those places socially. Um, that having a Latin American progressive Jesuit pope is sort of this almost kind of like schismatic situation where they just they want to see a different version of the catholic church than actually um you know pope francis is kind of envisioning so it's really interesting uh conservatives in the united states in conservative catholics don't really take climate change as a moral priority here as we know because they're so focused on fighting things like abortion as you pointed out earlier and of course they've taken out their their beliefs on even on the current president of the united states who is a practicing catholic by not offering him the eucharist in his home uh diocese well just to be just to be clear a lot of these um american catholics we're talking about after the kind of southern strategy and the kind of knitting together over abortion and certain wedge issues that was done, um, knitting together the evangelicals and the Catholics, they're basically, they're evangelicals who wear dresses on Sunday. Like that's the, the, the the Catholic church that existed that was actually generally pro union, didn't care about abortion and was sort of reliably blue, um, you know, in the sixties and early seventies. Um, you know, now it, it basically is towing the line of the it, it, it's sort of indistinguishable in doctrine and dogma from uh, from a lot of evangelical Protestant churches. Uh, they just have the communion, you know, once a week. And there's some little filigrees and, you know, some some Latin here and there. But um, they're they're not reflective of any kind of modern you know, current version of Catholicism in this country. Yeah, and Pope Francis, uh, going back eight years, uh, he started calling for a radical transformation of politics, economics, and individual lifestyles to confront 
environmental degradation and mm-hmm. climate change. And uh, that has continued to this very day. And that's part of what has him at odds with a lot of our um, lawmakers here in the United States. And I don't know. I It seems to me that if you're supposedly that close to the Almighty as he is, you wouldn't want to be pissing him off if you're a believer. Right. right. But the thing is, you know, this goes back to kind of what I was saying about the the knitting together of the evangelicals and the Catholics here in this country is because, um, you know, if you are of a sort of eschatological belief system um, and a kind of idea of human dominion as being God's will, you don't believe in climate change because it's impossible. Like God wants what humans want, and it's it's therefore, you know, not realistic that humans could be causing the destruction of you know ostensibly God's creation, the Earth. And so they kind of twist themselves in knots to just basically deny reality, because to accept that humans are ruining this planet is a sort of theological conundrum. And so they can't have it, so they just they just will it out of existence. Yeah. Well, I, as somebody who grew up in the Catholic Church, uh, I can only say it it does my heart better, even though I'm not a practicing Catholic today. Um, it does my heart better to know that there is somebody who leads that institution that has. Uh, a greater deal of open-mindedness and of concern for the things that really should matter to the living in this world. Mm-hmm. And, and that's Pope Francis. So, uh, you know, God bless him. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm not, uh, I'm not hoping for, um, a conclave and white or black smoke over the Vatican anytime soon. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, speaking of which, uh, you know, the Catholic Church and gays, can you, is there any institution on this planet that is more filled with drama queens than the Catholic <laughs> Church? I mean, seriously. I know. It is, I mean, you know, they, the, the, the whole thing with choosing the next pope and then you're literally, everyone is like watching the chimney to see if the smoke at the end of the day is white or black and then they throw some, you know, some doves out into the sky. I mean, that is peak gay drama. It is. And, you know, I mean, what do you expect though from a bunch of, you know, (laughs) a fraternity of guys who are dressed up in robes and all sorts of drag uh, all the time. So. Well, and that's actually, that's another really interesting thing, um, you know, that I think is, is both kind of, was was known but also um is a thing to think about when you when you think about um especially the catholic church in this country is there was a time when if you thought you were maybe not interested if you were a guy and you weren't interested in women you went into the priesthood like that was a it was a respectable 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 thing to do um that didn't you didn't have to out yourself And so there is and, you know, there is a history of gayness in the church that is sort of you shouldn't 
can't be denied and really shouldn't be denied. I have an element of that in my own family. Hmm. Yeah. And a very peculiar, interesting photograph that my partner and I found (laughs) short time after my grandfather, who was in the seminary for three years, um, left the seminary and wouldn't come out of his room when he went home after school that year uh, Mm. for a couple of weeks. And there were pictures that we found of him with a particular best friend from the seminary (laughs) that led us to think that there may have been more than met the eye. You know, that doesn't surprise me. And I, I was, you know, I was definitely recruited pretty heavily for the, um, for the order in high school. And I think there was a reason why. Yeah. (laughs) Well, when we return, we're going to turn our attention to the white house. And this is good news, really, really good news. But of course, there's some people who'd like to throw a, um, well, throw a brick in into things and mess that up. But we're going to talk about why you're going to get very supportive of what we're talking about and make sure that your elected officials know where you stand on this issue. It's all coming up on the GBC Happy Hour. With Richie Roy, I'm Johnny Mack. This is GBC.com. You think these guys aren't interesting enough without you joining the show? You're probably right. 760-677-0111. That's 760-677-0111. Operators are standing by right now. Probably. Hello and welcome back. And our intrepid uh, announcer took the words right out of my mouth because I was just about to say that this is a call-in show. We love when people call in. Are you a Catholic? Are you? Were you educated by Jesuits? Are you anti-Pope Francis? Uh, give us a call, 760-677-0111. We're always looking to hear from you. You wear a white um, robe and a white cap yourself. I often do. I, yeah. Yeah, you know, I... <laughs> Um, I do remember actually at some point kind of like looking online and you can online, there are websites where you can buy Catholic vestments. Like they, they're, a, you can purchase them like as a lay person. Like, I don't, I don't think you have to show like your priest card to get an, you know, an actual like Easter frock or something. So yeah. How cool would it be to go into a church service, like on an Easter Sunday wearing the Pope's finest Oh my God! It would be so. Oh my God! It's kind of like showing up wearing white to I'm a wedding. Poop, you know? Johnny Mac. I mean, what I always wanted was I was obsessed um, with the aspergillum. Do you know what that is? No. That's the little thing that um, they dip in water and then they they shoot the water out over the crowd with the holy water. Oh, okay. It's called an aspergillum, and some of them sometimes, if it's kind of an uh, kind of a hippie-ish or kind of more like 
chill vibe church. They use just like a like a bunch of sticks. But other times they have a kind of a metal rod that has like a ball at the end with holes, mm-hmm. and they stick it into like a a, a um, pot of holy water, and then they flick it out over the crowd. That's an aspergillum, and I was always very intrigued by that. Not to be confused with an aspergism. Not to be confused with that, <laughs> or to or with an aspirin. To, to yeah. turn to the topic of the moment. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that. But. Let's talk about this. So Biden is uh, after the um, I believe the Inflation Reduction Act was passed. One of the things that that meant is that um, Medicare can uh, can bargain or negotiate for certain drug fees. So what's going on here? Well, let me um, share this. I mean, once again, here is something. The, the president continues to take it in the shorts on his approval rating. But the American people, I, I don't know what to say, whether it's his communications department or it is the news media or what, but there is a total disconnect between the reality of what has been accomplished by this administration and what people think is going on or has not happened to their benefit. And the president made several assertions when he was running for president that there were things that he intended to accomplish uh, during his first go-round as president. And a lot of those things he has, in fact, delivered on. But you wouldn't know it the way that people have you know, acted like, oh, nothing's happened, nothing's better for me. When in fact things are better, I mean the job, the jobless rate is down tremendously. The economy is coming back. The uh, amount of inflation has been cut to a fraction of what it was when when things began, which were coming out of a pandemic as he started his administration. But one of the things so many people have heard about was that he was going to cut the prices on drugs for everyday Americans, and especially for people who are seniors and those who are uh, limited income or maybe on Social Security benefits. And so we've all heard about the $35 maximum for people who have diabetes and need to get insulin. But it didn't stop at just insulin. As part of this legislation that Richie was just talking about, there is now going to be 10 other drugs that people who are among our seniors and some of those who are on disability and as a result ultimately will help everybody because the U.S. taxpayers pay top dollar for drugs in this country. This is something that has been going on for decades and it is not a bipartisan issue. It is a singular partisan issue. And it is because of the Republicans. And I'm not saying this is just a bunch of bull crap. I was back in, gosh, I think it was 2003 or, yeah, I think it was 2003 was the first time I was invited to this democracy boot camp at the United States Capitol on the occasion of one of uh, President George W. Bush's State of the Union addresses. And what happened was members of the Senate on the Democratic caucus side, brought us in and and brought a group of progressive issue um, talk show hosts and journalists together 
to sit down and talk with us in layman's terms about all these various matters. And I remember that one of the things that we did was we had a conversation with the junior senator at the time from the state of Michigan, Debbie Stabenow, and she explained that the government was not allowed, not allowed to negotiate drug prices the same way that insurance companies do for their members, for people who were on Medicare and Medicaid. And that is what has now happened because of democratic rule. The, the Republicans did not want us negotiating to bring down those prices that you and I all pay through our taxes. But now there's going to be 10 other drugs that they're going to be dropping the prices on dramatically. It won't happen for two more years, unfortunately, but it's a beginning. Eliquis, Xeralto, both blood thinners, Genuvia, a diabetes drug, as well as uh, Jardinance uh, and uh, rheumatoid arthritis drugs, which are very expen- uh, expensive, like Enbrel. I know my dad was on that at one point in time. It was thousands of dollars a month for people who did not have insurance coverage. Those are now going to be limited in what they can charge. And we, the people, are not going to be paying through the nose for them anymore. We'll pick it up on the other side of the news. But uh, that, to me, Richie, is a huge bonus of having this administration in office. You're listening to the GBC Happy Hour. once a week but the happy hour is always available on demand as a podcast wherever you prefer to get them the hosts will tell you where if you ask nicely hello and welcome back to the happy hour and um we had we, we'll get into the, we'll get into the next segment uh when we get into it but i think that this this topic is so important um about uh you know, there, there are two things that you brought up that I think are really important. Yeah. One is, and I and I want to table this one a little bit, which is um, what people expect out of a president um, and what gets a president approval ratings is insane because so much of what people expect a president to do has to do with what the legislature does and additionally what the courts allow because – so many uh, signal sort of attempts to actually do important things are hamstrung by um, particularly conservative courts, um, as the one we have now is. Um, and so, you know, we saw, for instance, the thing with attempts to forgive student loans um, was was, you know, sort of marooned on the shoals of the judicial decision by the Supreme Court. They're still kind of trying to work that one out. Um, but setting aside the kind of issue of um, balance of powers, separation of powers, and what presidents can and can't do and what people expect, the strong presidency, which is actually sort of, I think, a lot of times leaning towards desires for autocracy. But to go back to the actual issue of drug drug pricing, is um, this is this is long overdue because the thing is, 
Um, drug pricing in this country, just full stop, is insane. Uh, what you have is there has been a essentially a cash grab for decades by pharmaceutical companies, and the prices that they charge off the you know off the rack prices that are paid by insurance are ludicrous and bear no resemblance to any kind of reality as to what the drug costs even R&D costs are totally out the window it's they're insane things and so what happens is insurance companies will pay you know uh, I'm on several prescription drugs and I will you know go pick up my Abilify and it will say you know I pay $5 and it says your insurance you know uh, saved you $1000 you know, per month for just a maintenance drug. Um, that's not a particularly special thing. Um, and what happens is that jacks up insurance prices, which insurance premiums are, are born by, uh, workplaces. And so that kind of affects hiring ability that affects all kinds of things. And, um, and it, you know, and then what they do is, to try to just keep th- keep people from rioting, they do these coupons where basically they're provisional coupons. That if you if your insurance doesn't cover a particular drug, then you can, you can get a coupon on GoodRx or something, and it's free. So what is it a thousand? Is it worth a thousand dollars a month, or is it worth zero a month? Because yeah. they're sending both messages at the same time. Well, it's absolutely absolutely bonkers. Yeah, uh, as I mentioned in the previous segment, Eliquis is a drug that I take. It's a blood thinner, and I was put on it after I had a couple of strokes when they found out that the reason for that was because I had a condition called atrial flutter. And that is an expensive drug. Now, I pay a copay with my um, insurance of $25 a month, and that's not excessive. However, when I go on to Medicare, that same drug is going to cost me $560 a month. Mm-hmm. And who is on Medicare? Seniors and people who are on disability. Right. They are the least capable of being able to pay these exorbitant prices. And yet these drugs cost a fraction of that in other nations around the world that they sell them to. But they have had yeah. the benefit of corporate welfare in America. because and, and honestly, what people need to know is that the reason that this is not going to go into effect immediately is because the trade unions or organizations that represent the pharmaceutical manufacturers in the United States are already, in some cases, they have already filed lawsuits to prevent this from happening, saying that it's not constitutional for the government to say that they have a right to negotiate like any other uh, insurance company that, you know, has a group of members so if you think of Blue Cross or Blue Shield or Aetna or uh, United Healthcare or any of the other number of insurance companies around the United States that are able to go in and negotiate a price for their members for these drugs based on what they pay for their insurance, 
Well, one of the biggest insured, well, technically it would be the same as an insured group of people in the country would be those who are covered under Medicare, Medicaid. And if they can't go in and negotiate with them because it's against the law, and the only reason it's against the law is because the GOP has been getting a shit ton of money out of their out of their trade groups and out of these companies that get poured into their campaigns, you know, into their pig troughs. Of course they're going to do or create legislation that benefits them. And it has well, been it has been strictly down Democrat and Republican party lines the vote on being able to do this for years. So yeah, well it, it, and and just just even even step I mean you know just this is just as a broad topic stepping back from this particular and I think that I think Medicare being able to negotiate is a huge step but um you know the the idea that there's this this complete um schizophrenia in in this country in terms of healthcare provision because there's this idea that um that you know that you should be able to like be able to get you know i guess how to put it even people who are on insurance on good insurance it still sucks yeah and i don't get there's and i've always been confused and and, and when you look at drug prices uh you know uh for a while my abilify was not covered under the formulary for my insurance which is actually a good insurance, but it wasn't covered uh, in the you know for whatever milligrams that I was supposed to take. Then you have you go on the private market, and you would think, oh, I'll get it filled at the most you know convenient uh, pharmacy to me, you know the closest one. Right. If you look on GoodRx, the same exact medicine on the market was. $300 a month at Walgreens, $9 a month at the Tops Pharmacy down the road. That suggests that this is a broken economy, that broken industry, that there's no there's no rationality to pricing, to availability to any of it. And and what it really redounds to is it's rent-seeking behavior by pharmaceutical companies who are as long as we can get as much money as possible from as many avenues as we can, we will do it because no one is going to touch us. And to go back to what you said, it's because they are a protected industry yep. um, because of extreme political influence um, and because there's this idea. You know, one of the things, you know, when you talked about how much Eliquis would cost you once you go off of, you know, pr uh, private insurance, you know, go and go on to Medicare, people were – on the right were apoplectic with the idea of Obamacare because they talked about death panels, yeah, right? That right. there's going to be death panels. There are actually in this country, there are currently death panels. It's called our insurance system where you have to just buy things on the market at market rate. And if you can't afford it, you don't get to die. have the care you need. You yeah. die. So do we actually currently have death panels? That's called actually our current healthcare system. Yes. And, and in addition to that, uh, I had a friend uh, who about 10 years ago 
was working at a major, major pharmaceutical company at their headquarters in Thousand Oaks, California. And he worked in the marketing department as an assistant, and he used to be called upon to take notes and stuff in boardroom meetings. And the, th the stories I would hear about the stuff that was said and about the executives laughing about how they were you know, able to get away with highway robbery, it just made you sick. And then, of course, we've seen the problems with companies uh, like the Sacklers Company uh, with the opioid disaster. All they care about is making money. They want to talk about how they have put all of this money into research and development and that if they didn't invest that and hadn't taken all these risks. Well, you know, some of that's true, but it's also a lot of bull, sh bull crap because the... The truth of the matter is, is that a lot of that drug development is done with research dollars that go through our national institutes of health. So it and is, through and through and through public universities. Yes, of course. And exactly. So, and so and the thing is, is you're already paying for it. If even if you're not on Medicare or Medicaid, even if you don't have insurance. Uh, right now, because you don't, you're one of those young people who thinks, you know, I'm invincible. Nothing's wrong with me. I don't need to pay for insurance. You know, I'll be fine. You are still paying for it because those top dollars that we are paying for these drugs, because we were legally prohibited from being able to negotiate with those companies to get package deals, you know, group pricing for buying these drugs rather than giving them full retail value. Well, and and every and the thing is everyone who exists in the workplace economy is affected because either there are jobs that don't exist that could exist if companies weren't forced to pay exorbitant amounts for insurance that doesn't even isn't even that great or your salary is diminished by the fact that there are, that that you know part of your like compensation is health insurance that is actually a big burden on companies and actually just even the 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 administrative costs of of running a business and having to provide health insurance is an additional like sort of unspoken cost all of that bears upon everyone and so it is a universally felt cost. Right, because um, it's it's taken out of your federal tax dollars. You're, and, you're paying for it in and, your federal taxes, too. And, you know, to be perfectly clear, you know, when they talk about the R&D, um, you know, oh, there's so much R&D went into this drug, whatever. Uh, frankly, a lot of times what the R&D is doing, what, what, what they're really spending a lot of time doing, researching and developing, is ways to... Take a drug that is about to run out of its patent period and make and make just enough changes that they can repatent it and make it not generic. And so, you know, you see that happening in all kinds of different situations where um, there there's a drug that has been you know on the market long enough that it's about to become available for a generic, and then they're scrambling and spending billions of dollars to make just enough tweaks to make an extended release version. Or, you know, just change the chemical composition enough that they can have a new brand name drug that they can market at full cost. And again, that cost will be bared by taxpayers and by people 
you know, by insurance companies, and that all is ultimately paid for by everyone. Because it's, who, it's, do, it's, who, who do they care about? They don't care about your health. They don't care if you live or not. There's always going to be somebody else who's going to need that. The only people that they care about are their shareholders. That's it. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, and the thing is where it becomes a crazy almost like nesting doll inception type of situation is that some of the biggest shareholders of those drug companies are public pensions. CalPERS, you know, the these these huge public pension companies that are looking for returns on investment. And so you get this round robin where you have, you know, the pension fund that that is investing in the exact company that is fleecing another piece of that same government, you know, who is paying the insurance premiums. It's mind blowing how complicated and how evil that is. How many people are going to be affected by this? Well, let me tell you, nearly one in 10 have heart conditions that put them at risk for blood clots. About 28% have diabetes, 27% have coronary heart disease, 15% have heart failure, and about one in four have a chronic kidney disease. These drugs, they're gonna save all of us $98 billion over 10 years. This is because of the Biden administration that these good things are happening. So when you sit around the table with your right-wing family friend, family and friends these holidays, um, be armed with facts. Don't take their BS. Johnny Mac here. I'll be back with Richie Roy, and we'll continue with more of the GBC Happy Hour in a moment. He was the heart of your family, and he taught you our history. He helped you fix your first flat. He was the best backyard DJ around. And every time he'd tell a story, he'd own the room. But now more than ever, he may feel alone. Today, older adults and their loved ones are struggling to connect in a time when connection has never been more important. But there is something we can do. Embrace our older loved ones through StoryCorps Connect. With StoryCorps Connect, you can honor seniors remotely with an interview about their life. Every interview will be archived at the Library of Congress, becoming part of American history, so that years from now, future generations can listen in. All right, Grandpa, what's one piece of advice you have for me? Just three words, sweetheart. Live with courage. The man that had the best stories still has plenty of stories to tell. Let's quickly so hit the, uh, conversation the other of a topics that we lost, and we're we'll still trying to get AARP. big ice, gay ice Connect, cream in honor, this hour, share. if not next. StoryCorps Connect. A message from AARP, StoryCorps, and the Ad Council. Come on, turn that frown upside down. It's the happy hour on KBC. Hello and welcome back. Um, <laughs> I'm currently, um, so I, I made a, I just made a little mistake and um, I normally keep the door closed to my office, um, but we have a co-host. Um, it's one of my cats who is scratching my leg at the moment. <laughs> so um, I will try my best to, to not be distracted by him. But um, welcome back. And um, I think, you know, I think that the, the subject of, of actually medical insurance and, and prescription drugs is something we'll come back to in the future. I think it's important enough that, 
we need to to spend more time on it. But we will move on at the moment. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff to talk about. There is. Um, and uh, some of I it think, happened here in California. I was just about to say a little bit closer to home for you. Um, and and a story that I'm glad that's a little bit of actually I think um, a uh, a follow up because we talked about this uh, Chino Valley situation earlier uh, in a previous show, but. Um, the the uh, AG of California, Rob Bonta, is suing Chino Valley Unified School District over its policy requiring schools to out trans and non-binary students to their parents. Um, basically, you know, if uh, you know, if ow, uh, sorry, <laughs> um, if there is, uh, you know, if someone wants to be uh, have a different pronoun or a different name. Um, you know, that uh, they have to alert parents even if the student doesn't want that to be the case. Um, and, you know, it goes against, uh, you know, generally <laughs> California state policies and is just kind of going rogue. And I love any situation where in California where Gavin Newsom or the AG uh, basically just reminds localities that, look, the law is the law here. And you can think whatever you want to think, but we have we actually have rules. Yeah. You can't violate the state constitution, no matter yeah. how backwards your neighborhood is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm just I'm just so glad to see it. And and again, you know, not to wax poetic about the American experiment, but um, you know, there is there are times when, you know, uh when I'm reminded that having sort of different levels of government that are sometimes differently aligned is important because when we have these local school boards and local whatever um, people that are that are out of step with with sort of the what the state's priorities are, um, that there are layers of government, that there is someone to appeal to. You know, parents can go to the AG and say, look, my kids' rights are not being uh, upheld here. Yeah. And there are, there are, there are sort of, is, you know, I guess like escape valves or whatever. Um, when, you know, if it was all local, because again, um, big, you know, sort of hardcore conservative folks think that everything should be devolved to the most local thing possible. Yeah, Chino Valley Unified no School Board President Sonia Shaw, uh, she called Mr. Bonta's lawsuit a quote unquote aggressive form of <laughs> government overreach against a common sense policy that was meant to prevent quote unquote perversion from being pushed upon school children. Well, that's your opinion, but the state constitution is what it is. So, good luck, honey. And 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 just just to like the stupidity of that statement because pervert let's just take those words perversion being pushed on students. These are students who are asking themselves for something. Yeah. It's a student who's saying, "Hey, Call me Rain from now on. That's the name I'd like to be called by. There's no pushing of a, an agenda. That's literally just a student asking for a preference or asking for a provision. Like, 
I, it just like that. That is the stupidest thing I've heard. The you idea know, that like that a student asking to use uh, the bathroom of their choice or asking to be used uh, or asking for their own pronouns or their or, or a different name to be used is somehow a quote outside agenda pushed down children's throats. That's that is like the most back. If any agenda is being pushed down a throat, it's the idea that you can't actually advocate for who you are. You know what I'd like to do right now? I'd like to ram a swami. Oh God! So yeah, this is another. This is another subject. <laughs> another thing that came up. You know, uh, I, I, I was the one that put this in the show notes this week. I was actually a little bit hesitant because every four years, there's a bunch of fucking yahoos who just come out of the woodwork and were expected to take them seriously for some certain period of months and ramaswamy is one of them i'm sorry i don't i don't take this person seriously but this person you know like ron DeSantis, like a nikki haley is aiming you know is tilting for the republican nomination for president vivek um, vivek is that even a guy's name I mean, for all I know, he could be transgender. Uh, maybe you should start floating that one. Yeah. But um. But yeah. So Vivek Ramaswamy sounds close to Vivian. Anti- yeah. Um. Released a, an anti-trans campaign video. You know, not to be upstaged by Ron De- Ron anti-trans DeSantis. Vivek, you know, had to weigh in. And posted a video, you know, about how being anti-trans protects the kids, etc. And um, one of the most virulent, uh, horrible right-wing hate mongers, Matt Walsh, um, uh, reposted that and shared it with a caption saying, ban them before age 18 and then ban them after age 18. Um, and uh, I'm trying to remember where it even was. Uh, there was recently oh the guy the guy who killed the woman in California, the the over the pride flag. Mm, yeah, he, Lake he was uh, very actively following and I think commenting on Matt Walsh Matt Walsh's posts. Mm. Matt Walsh is one of these firebrands who actually radicalizes domestic terrorists against gay people and trans people. So. Uh, yeah, so you're so Ramaswamy's in great company uh, with people like Matt Walsh um, uh, in sort of trying to one up each other in being anti-trans. It's just gross. I don't care about Ramaswamy, but just to see, you know, that that there is this this we're in a moment where every you know uh, hopeful Republican presidential candidate has to fall over themselves to prove their anti-LGBTQ bona fides is just very disheartening. Yeah, it's... it's. I am so sick and tired of these people who can't focus on real issues that affect everyday American people that they need to be dealing with at the federal level, not on picking on a class of citizens who have enough problems to deal with in their life. They don't need somebody running for president to uh, continue to build on that. Well, the thing is, but this is, again, to go back to something we talked about earlier, this is a fundamental thing that is like, there is, 
and again, why I believe there should be civics education is pres- a lot of Republican presidents, presidential candidates run on law and order as their thing. Law and order is a, is a classic local state state and local issue. It's a it is not run by the federal government by and large, except for things like Department of Justice running, you know, white collar stuff and in large federal things. But there's this idea that the president needs to be in charge of law and order and that, you know, uh, that that is that is just a fundamentally it's, it's a misreading of what the federal government even does like that actually drives me completely up a wall because, you know, you have this idea like, well, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to crack down on uh, dr- on drug dealers. The federal government's going to crack down on local drug dealers. Like, that's not their job. Like, it just it's it, it's easy talking points that are stupid. Um, and it, it, it just it that that drives me crazy that and it happens on the right all the time because they actually don't believe in the things that the federal government should do. For instance, to go back to our topic about education, having federal education standards, they are they they are it is a storied tradition that Republicans want to defund the Department of Education because they don't believe that there should be broad standards for what children should learn yeah. or any oversight over you know places like Chino Valley saying that kids, you know, can't use the bathroom of their choice. I mean, th- th- that th- that stuff drives me up a wall. I, you know, I, and um, you know, I'm always happy to talk about it because I think again to my my civics-minded brain, um, there's there's just a a lot of times a conflation of what is local, what's state and what's federal. And Republican candidates for president are notorious for being crazy about that yeah they always blur those lines we are going to get another little update on news and then continue with our second hour and in the next hour among the things we're going to talk about are the biggest lying gay sack of crap (laughs) on capitol hill we're also and apparently he's not as big and fat as he once was um so he's less of a big fat sack of gay bs um, and we're also going to talk about big gay ice cream. So stay with us. There's a lot more to come, and we appreciate you being with us. You can call in and join the conversation tonight at 760-677-0111. With Richie Roy, I'm Johnny Mack. Live from across America, heard around the globe, and recorded for posterity. It's the Gay BC Happy Hour with Richie Roy, Chick Maxson, and Johnny Mack. Okay, queens, set down the booze and pull yourselves up to the mic again. (laughs) Welcome back to the happy hour. You know, I have to ask, who names these tropical storms and hurricanes? Because... Idalia, I've not heard that name before. But then we had Hillary recently. It's yeah. like, really? We're going to do Hillary? What's next? Uh, you know, uh, Tropical Storm Biden? No, it goes in alphabetical order. So the next one is going to be um, uh, Jaundice. <laughs> yeah, the next one will be John McCain. 
Um, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, you know, thoughts are definitely out there. You know, sending thoughts for everyone who's dealing with these storms, and we'll in a little bit later in the hour we'll talk about kind of dealing with this reality about climate change and what it means to have storms and wildfires and droughts and all this stuff kind of constantly oh by but by climate change i thought you were referring to the climate of having somewhat respectable members yesteryear but now just having outright lunatics in the halls of congress oh well there's that so speaking of of that you know um a couple weeks ago we talked about a scuttled cage match between um, oligarchs Musk and Zuckerberg. <laughs> uh, but we have a new cage match in town. After losing nearly 100 pounds on Ozempic. So he claims. Every, so he, I mean, exactly. Have so you he, seen a picture I mean, take, of him looking thin? No, I've not. He, yeah, he still no, looks like he has the same chubby cheeks to me. Yeah. But so everyone's favorite gay Republican, George Santos, uh, uh, well-known liar and complete fraudster um, uh, is claiming a couple things. One, that he's been studying jujitsu for five years, mm -hmm. um, again, much like Zuckerberg. And, uh, and now that he's dropped 100 pounds, allegedly, he claims that he could beat Mitt Romney in a cage match. Yeah, and don't, don't forget that at one time, as he told us, he was a star volleyball player. Of course. That was yeah. at a college that he never attended, of course, but Yeah. Details, details. Yeah. So so um you know, America's uh one of America's premier liars and fraudsters uh just can't just you know, whenever you wanna think that it's gonna be a normal week, then you get a news story like George Santos dropping a hundred pounds on Ozempic and saying he could beat Mitt, Mitt Romney in a cage match because he's a jujitsu master. It's just like this, this world that we live in right now is, it is like, sometimes it tries my patience so hard. Now to put it in perspective, we do have to say that the report we are taking this information from is one where an insider, whoever that might be told, <laughs> told page six, which of course is part of the New York post, which is of course a Rupert, Murdoch BS publication, uh, quote, George, referring to George Santos, George said, I've lost 92 pounds on Ozempic over the last eight months. And apparently, according to the reporting we have, while his pharmacist boyfriend had expressed concerns about the drug, Santos beamed that he'd, quote, lost nearly 100 pounds, and quote, thanks to off-label help from the diabetes medication. I don't know. It seems to me that that's pretty hard to dash around the halls of Congress, and a lot of people have been keeping tabs on him. You'd think that somebody might, you know, ask questions like, you know, do you have AIDS or something like that? And I'm not trying to make fun of that, but, you know, I mean, you know, if he was losing weight that rapidly, somebody would look at him and go, you know, are you sick? Is some is there something wrong? Right. right. Well, you know, because there's there's I I you know there's there's a couple things there's there is something you know that's called Ozempic face, 
which is when sometimes people get very drawn in the face on Ozempic. Yep. Um, and there is a corollary, which I've read about, which is Ozempic butt, which is sometimes you lose your butt. It yeah, that's just, what I have. <laughs> and I only took it for a week and a half about a year ago until it just about killed me. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I, we'll have to, we'll have to see if we can find some recent pictures and see if, 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 uh, Santos has Ozempic butt or Ozempic face, but, um, yeah, well the picture, the, 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 the that pic- story was just a, the picture that they show oh, of him in the story that was published he, by LGBTQ nation has him with his double chin. So I don't know. No, he always look. he always looks like a chipmunk, you know, with acorns in his mouth. Yeah. Um, but so in other gay Republican news, because <laughs> that story is silly. Right. This is another funny, another funny story because it's just like talk about uh, clutching pearls. So uh, famous gay Republican Richard Grinnell, who um, was the U.S. ambassador to Germany under the prior president, uh, who we don't need to name, um, he called out the Republican Party for scheduling its 2028 convention in Houston, Texas. The reason for his alarm was because that state's Republican Party bans log cabin Republicans from attending the convention. So I don't feel super bad for anyone in this situation. Yeah, Um, Yeah, and of course, they've also also, uh, enacted a a fair amount of anti-trans legislation in the Lone Star State. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But that's not that wasn't his concern. He he could not care less about that. It was because his his beloved log cabiners, yeah. you know, couldn't put up a little uh, stand. So, yeah, at the he can't have a, he can't have his booth there at the convention. Exactly. And, you know, we should we should that, go to the convention goes, that year. We should go and we should just do nothing but ask everybody, where's the log cabin? But can you point me to the log cabin booth? Yeah. <laughs> the thing is that is so there's nothing there are a few things in the world kind of more like there's this like Sisyphean idea that log cabin Republicans have that if they put push the rock up the hill enough times that they will get the rock up the hill and they will actually be accepted by the party that they that they think that they are members of yeah well, and the party has sent has sent sent so many messages so clearly saying we do not want you at all like literally we hate you (laughs) like at what point do you just like realize do you just like pick up your you know your toys and just walk home and just say you know what i'm I'm not doing this i say we should just go put a booth there for him and have a big banner up behind it that says we hate ourselves we hate us too well, that I mean, that that's that's always that is that's the underlying thing. Yeah. Um, and it's it's always been the case. You know, I remember. Um, you know, there was a in undergrad, there was a uh, gay sort of a gay Republican type. You know, we had a gay student organization that was broad. You know, broad focus. Uh, you know, broad. You know, it was LGBTQ um, inclusive. And there was a there was a very vocal minority of specifically gay white cis men who 
they wanted to socialize with other gay white men and did not want to be involved in quote politics. And those are like, basically just like, that's like, that is the vibe. That's like, I, I want to, I want to be around gay people. I want to be a gay dude who associates with other gay dudes, but I also want to be a Republican conservative dickhead. Yeah. When I lived in New York city and was working at Sirius satellite radio, we had a we opened up our facility for a party one night for a, a national organization that was not a particularly political organization, but was there to deal with um, issues like LGBTQ representation in advertising. The organization is called the Commercial Closet, and it was run by an acquaintance of mine, uh, Michael Wilkie, and I think it still exists, but. The party that they had that night welcomed in a lot of people who, it turned out, also happened to be members of the New York chapter of the Log Cabin Republicans. And I remember being introduced to a group of them as the, you know, kind of the co-host of the party since I ran the station there. And uh, it it was a very uncomfortable moment for me. Because it was clear that these people were from the club of, I got mine, screw the rest. And they were asking if they could have a a get-together cocktail party there in our headquarters uh, for, for the LCR. And I had no problem telling them no. I mean, I wouldn't have done it for the Stonewall Democrats either because it wasn't our job to be... Uh, you know, having political rallies at our studios. Um, We certainly let people from both ends of the political spectrum come on programs and to talk about their perspective on things or to be held accountable for things that they said or did. But um, it's really mind-blowing to me how you can um, say that, you know, you advocate for let's say, same-gender marriage, but then you you embrace an organization like the GOP that fights that at every step of the way. It, it just it completely flies in the face of any sort of common sense. It, it, it's, it's intellectually incoherent yeah. because the thing is like they, you know, when when actual gay advocates were stridently advocating for gay marriage they were advocating for you know meek domestic partnership you know they're always this 10 steps behind you know and really all they want is to fucking hang out together and like find dudes to have sex with it's like there there's no like there's no agenda of of accept like they're not seeking accept like like broad political acceptance or anything like log cabin republicans i don't know why why they exist what are they trying to advocate they're not advocating for their own interests even they just seem to want to be republicans who happen to be gay who want people to not like disallow them from being 
in the room. Well, here's the deal. They, they're guys who want to suck other guys' dicks, but they don't want to have to pay the taxes, and they don't want to, yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't want to have to acknowledge people are discriminated against or do things to prevent other people from being discriminated against because they're not discriminated against in their eyes. You know, I mean, look, I have friends even today who are gay and conservative and I, in some cases, I love them, but at the same time, I don't understand those things. Like I have one or two friends in particular who like don't understand the whole, um, you know, diversity, equity issues and inclusion. all of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. inclusion. Um, they, and, and they're like, I don't care if somebody has that. And, you know, and you can't make somebody want to have those kinds of things in their life that they feel don't affect them. I feel it does affect well, them, but, but, you know, it's... This, this goes to what we've talked about before, which is actually one of my most, like, one of, to me, like, it is a kind of a touchstone, which is empathy. Yeah. Because these are the same people that, for instance, rail against, you know, the the ADA. You know, businesses are forced to comply with ADA requirements, you know, uh, and it's hurtful to businesses that they have to provide all these things, blah, blah, blah. Um, as soon as they you know, get in a skiing accident and have to be in a wheelchair for a month. They are complaining because the curb cuts aren't correct because they they can't get to their Starbucks, whatever. And suddenly it matters to them and they're, you know, they're strident advocates Mm -hmm. Um, or they get old and, you know, um, they're like, oh, well, I wish, you know, I can't go to my favorite seafoods, you know, restaurant because, they don't have a ramp. I mean, these are the same people that when they're 20 and 30 you know, years old and able-bodied white gay men are just like, fuck everyone else. Like, you know, uh, let me let let's keep taxes low. Let's keep regulation low. And like, you know, all I want to do is get on my grinder grid and hook up with people. Um, and so for me, it's really about this. Again, you know, empathy is. You know, when someone breaks their leg and suddenly realizes that accessibility matters and they become like kind of like converted. Yeah. I don't I'm like, well, you're a little late to the party. Like, I'm actually not proud of you. Like, good. I'm glad you're that you're interested now, but you should have been 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 interested before because there are people who are not, you know, who are. Uh, you know, not able-bodied or whatever, who have been dealing with this, and you didn't care about it before it affected you directly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we have another funny little story, um, and I actually, so so Johnny was the one that that brought this to my attention, and I was actually very intrigued because I this is a was a big mystery to me. So there was this company in New York City. Uh, the Big Gay Ice Cream Store. And we're going to have to get to it in just a couple of moments because we're about to take a little break. But, yeah, it's it's worth you hanging out for because you can't believe what's been sprinkled on this soft serve. <laughs> it's not so soft serve anymore. 
<laughs> it's kind of a sad story, really. It is. So hope you'll hang out for that. We're also going to be talking about what's going on in Brazil because their Supreme Federal Court has ruled that homophobia is now punishable by prison. Mm-hmm. Stay with us on the GBC Happy Hour. And give us a call. Join the conversation. Be heard. Speak up. Quit being a pussy. 760-677-0111. And these shows, of course, every week, about a half an hour after the live broadcast, are up as a podcast and available from gbc.com and from your favorite podcast portals. It's the Gay BC Happy Hour with Richie, Chick, and Johnny. Fellas. Welcome back. <laughs> if you weren't with us last oh. week, by the way, um, our buddy Chick, while well, you don't hear him here, uh, he is still going to be a part of the program, but he's going to be a contributing correspondent because as his life is getting busier now that the uh, temperatures are going to start receding in Texas... Uh, he isn't able to be with us as much. So he's still in the family, and we'll hear from him. We have an upcoming conversation soon uh, because Richie and Chick are still waiting. I've received my order from Lithuania of a product that is actually made in that place where they're at war right now. Um, and so we're going to be eating... Uh, potato chips and they have a funny flavoring apparently uh, or so we've been told uh, because they supposedly taste like penises that's right dick yeah. chips big chaz I'm I'm cautiously optimistic <laughs> <laughs> we're all just hoping that uh, well we didn't order the uh, they had pussy flavor ones too and um, but we all decided that we were not into the idea of having potato chips that tasted like tuna fish. So I mean, it's so funny. Uh, you know, I these novelty they're, they're just these novelty products. Um, I actually went down a novelty product kind of wormhole earlier today because someone was posting a bunch of clips on I forget if it was Instagram or whatever um, of some vintage novelty product things like a like the crystal pepsi ad oh yeah and um i was definitely i was definitely vibing on on that for sure um and there's always you know i feel like there are certain companies that are uh always trying to kind of capture attention i think oscar meyer is currently doing a promotion for a hot dog straw that is uh, like a silicone, basically, it looks like a hot dog, but it has a hole down the middle and it's a straw. It's and funny that you say that because I saw a video today on Instagram of a guy who stuck a, a like a, a little doweling piece down in the middle of a hot dog that he got at, I think it was at Yankee Stadium. Mm -hmm. And then he puts the hot dog in the cup of beer 
and uses that as a straw for the yeah drinking the so beer. So that that guy was the inspiration for the straw. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, and I will say, um, you know, this isn't the recommendations portion of the show, but I will recommend um, to anyone who has not done this in the past: stick a red vine. Uh, chew the ends off of both ends <laughs> stick that in your diet coke or your coke or your dr pepper and drink it through your licorice nothing better love it <laughs> <laughs> well julie moskin or julia moskin at the uh, new york times uh day let's see it was a day ago it was yesterday uh, wrote a story headlined the fight to control big gay ice cream which made the rainbow its brand um, a company that rode to success with an inclusive message has shrunk to a single store as a founder sues a partner he accuses of mismanagement and fraud this is the story of three guys and my first question is Richie since they started in New York City have you ever eaten ice cream from the big gay ice cream company i have i have is and it good this well it's the story yes it was good the story really it it sort of opened my eyes a little bit because i was actually kind of wondering what happened to big because big gay ice cream store or whatever it's called big ice cream was kind of this juggernaut it was like it started as one store and it was really, really cool and really popular, very campy, like super over the top, you know, big cones with lots of stuff and, you know, lots of, you know, names, you know, it'd be like the, you know, whatever, like the Divine or like the RuPaul or just this like very unabashedly queer, campy, in your face kind of shop. And like the, 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 um, the decor was very glittery, very disco. Yeah, the, um, the newspaper wrote that the company's first shops exploded in Greenwich Village in a burst of yeah. rainbow sprinkles. Locals and tourists alike thr uh, thrilled to the cheeky branding, Barbie dolls, glitter, Golden Girls references, and made pil uh, pilgrimages for uh, B. Arthur swirls and Monday Sundays. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's that's a great characterization of it. Um I I enjoyed it when I went there. I, it was a little, just full disclosure, like it was a little too sweet for me. Like I don't like things that are too, too sweet. And it was actually quite sweet. But the whole vibe, it was so positive and so fun and so just like big wig, you know, just kind of like wild gay as hell ice cream shop and it kind of then you know they had they had some mobile ones and like i think they kind of expanded a little bit and then it kind of just disappeared and i kind of was wondering you know what happened i mean there was covid and everything and the story really just explained you know yeah covid was a thing but sounds like they brought in a partner who just kind of mismanaged and maybe seems like you know kind of did some financial misdeeds. Yeah, the two co-founders were uh, Doug Quint and Brian Petroff. And then eventually down the road, they ended up bringing in a third guy and gave him a, th uh, a chunk of the company. Uh, they each kept 35%, uh, I think, and then the balance 
uh, the 30% uh, chunk of it was given to uh, a guy by the name of John Chapsky. And they are alleging now in a suit that is being filed by Mr. Quint um, uh, mismanaging the company and fraudulently collecting government loans during the pandemic. And they left some pretty big bills. Like I think I read that there was a $400,000 or $400, pass due on the rent for one of the locations in Greenwich Village. And they had another store, I think, that was down in Philadelphia. They'd also managed to put together a deal for a cold packer and sold uh, ice cream through grocery stores all around the country that it had uh, actually made it that big. And in fact, um, the, you know, one of the co-founders who was originally from uh, up in New England uh, went back to his old hometown, a small town up in New England, and uh, after his sister had told him that she saw his ice cream in the freezer section, he wanted to see it for himself. And it's kind of a, a cool, you know, um, rags-to-riches story, but then to have it all explode like this because you put your trust in somebody and right. then they screw you out of the whole thing, and you're, you know, stuck with and it, the damage. And I think the story said that like he's now he like now he like works at like the CVS in yeah. his hometown. Like, yep. Like just you know, it's just it's a it's a real bummer. Yeah, it's it's sort of a rags to riches to rags kind of story because of you know uh, someone who is brought in who mismanaged things and. You know, just also, also just, you know, even setting that aside, just also just the reality of, you know, COVID really screwed things a lot, you know, screwed things up. Yeah. And, you know, ice cream shops <laughs> were kind of like extremely non-essential. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Quint said that he was forced to move out of New York, taking a minimum wage job at a CVS. Yeah. Uh, that's really it's really sad to hear, you know, these kinds of things. And as somebody who has had his own startup companies and, and had people who did not necessarily have your best interests at heart with you, um, you know what we did? We actually skewed right through the bottom of the hour break. So screw that. I think maybe we should just get rid of those breaks and, and <laughs> just keep doing the show. But, you know, it's, it's really, it's, these are, um, you know, these are not unique stories. It's just bittersweet to actually see that somebody did something and that was, you know, very uh, cool to the, uh, you know, to be involved in our community that way and, and yeah. to build a successful story and then have it ripped apart this way. Yeah, no, and, and just like especially just, um, you know, the, the fact that um, – you know, it was such a splash. I mean, it was sort of this this almost cultural juggernaut. You know, just people were lining up to go to these shops, um, and they were just so fun. And just to have them kind of just blip out. Um, hey, Richie, um, we actually have a call from our friend Jordy who wants to okay. talk about big gay ice cream. Hey, Jordy. Oh, all right. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. I am screaming over here. <laughs> I am screaming. That is one of my favorite places to go in New York. Um, Richie, you had said that you don't like very sweet things. Um, 
I'm wondering if you had tried the B. Arthur. No, I had not. It was not too sweet. I don't really like oh. sweet either. And um, it was, what was it? It was vanilla ice cream, dolce, a little bit of dolce de leche, and then Ooh. graham cracker crumbs on the outside. Oh, was, that sounds mm, fantastic. So good. But I'm gagging over this. This is so depressing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. No. Well, they may still pull it off and come back out of the mess that they were in, but uh, there's a lot of legal entanglements that have to be unwound now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine that. Could not imagine. Yeah. Well, that's what often happens when you get somebody involved that, you know, they see an opportunity to take advantage of something and, and then just don't, you know... Manage don't do it correctly. right manage it correctly yeah actually yeah, see an opportunity to you know to get a big windfall and then run away with the money absolutely yeah that that happens quite often and you know what i think the lesson the lesson here would be to be really careful about who you let into your business you know i think that's 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 very important you know yeah you know that um, is so that is such that is so true. And like, you know, as a lawyer, having seen um, situations go south, um, a lot of times, whether it's family members or close friends, is like you have to, you know, you have to think about things going south when you're starting out. And no one wants to do that. When you're drafting up the papers, like if you're doing a good job of it, you have to think, well, what if this doesn't work well? But people are so excited when they're starting an endeavor that they don't want to have those mm-hmm. difficult conversations right off the bat. You know, it just struck me, guys, that maybe um, down the road, if they kind of get their act together again, uh, that Jordy might be able to partner with them and uh, – uh, bring a product of his own uh, to the game, like a uh, big gay banana. The massive cone. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the the name massive would have to be in here, but yeah. uh, you know, the, the massive cone or like massive cream or something. I don't know. It's got to yeah. be something. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll get my I'll get I'll get my people on it. That can, <laughs> that can brainstorm. That can brainstorm the name of that. You know, yeah. but. Of course. Yeah. Well, thank you for calling. Absolutely. Thanks oh, for having me. Ovi, always, a, always a pleasure to have you uh, join yeah. us. And others can join as well. 760-677-0111 is our number if you'd like to join us here on the GBC Happy Hour. Well, there's some other news that is deserving of our talking about that is not bad news it's actually good news and it comes from a place that we don't always hear a lot of good news where it relates to lgbtq issues and that is the nation of brazil but their their federal court has ruled as i mentioned a little while ago that homophobia is now punishable with up to five years in prison what's the story on this richie yeah so uh so it's an interesting I mean it's an interesting story, you know. Um they 
they equate, you know, homophobia to racism, you know, in their in their sort of decision. It was nearly unanimous. It was nine to one. Um, and it's interesting partially because Brazil has kind of done a little bit of a of a swerve because you know their previously you know their current uh their current president um is uh, Luiz Inacio Lula da Silva but before that um the president was Jair Bolsonaro who is kind of a little bit of a trumpy type guy and so um it's interesting to just see that you know, each country kind of runs itself differently, and it seems like the the federal court, you know, is I don't know exactly how it how it's formed and stuff in Brazil, but um, this seems like you know definitely a a step outside of what would have happened under Bolsonaro, for instance. Yeah, and, and let's um, let's let's not mince words of Mr. Bolsonaro, because uh, as the reporting claimed, uh, he when he was in power, encouraged fathers to beat their sons if they came out as gay. And he claimed that people who are vaccinated against COVID-19 were at an increased risk for AIDS, which, of course, is a major health issue in that nation. Uh, yeah, guy, no, he, you know, he was a nut and, yeah. and, and like an absolute kind of like, again, like kind of Trumpian nut, like just sort of like no, like fact-free authoritarian crazy person he also encouraged farmers to burn the rainforest um you know just ev everything possible bad he was all about it yeah. um but so it's a good it's really cool i mean the thing that i'm interested to to understand or to think about is like i feel like in certain countries there's a huge I guess my question is, how does this decision in Brazil, what is it? Ha what is the practical effect, like, on a day-to-day -day basis for people? Um, you know, is it something that will have effect? Will there be prosecution for homophobia? Um, and what? How do you define homophobia? Like, is it homophobic speech? Like, um, because I, I couldn't see there ever being in this country uh a law against homophobia because of the first amendment you right know, we, we talk about this a lot on this show because i don't know that you of think that, that religion well but do you think that that is the case because i mean the freedom of speech is not absolute there are penalties for saying certain things you know the whole thing that applies to you can't scream fire in a movie theater you can't you know yell hijack in an airport without there being a potential to be arrested well so you know but yes i hear what you're saying because the thing is this this is where we actually end up in a very schizophrenic place because there are hate crimes laws where if if you if you attack someone and you call them a faggot right you could be additionally charged 
as it being a hate crime, right? Yeah. If you, but if you're just on the street calling people a faggot, couldn't you be hit with defamation of character? No, no, actually, that's an interesting thing because th- there have been cases, um, you know, th- not now because defamation um, and libel, uh, they've found in, in many cases, at least in many states, that being gay is not is not bad, is right. not like libelous because it's not. I get that, but I'm differentiating between the somebody calling you a gay person and somebody calling you, you know, a faggot, just like if they called you a spick or a nigger or, you know, one of those other horrendous um, derogatory terms that is, you know, used to insult people. Right. So it's, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that um, is especially, you know, with, with regards to calling people, you know, if someone, you know, like I'm thinking of like the Westboro Baptist Church, right? You know, they're they're, God they're protesting fags. in front of you know the burial of a soldier, right? And they're saying, you know, God hates fags, blah blah blah. Um, you know, there's no, there's really like it's kind of protected speech. Um, and. You know, I, but who gets I, to I, determine that? I mean, obviously, it's the Supreme Court. But I mean, no, it's not even Supreme Court. It because it's, it's not, but it's not absolute. Again, if that were the case, you shouldn't be able to be arrested for making any sort of any statement anywhere. You shouldn't be able to be harassed by a police officer for calling them a pig, and or you know, swearing at a police officer. I had a situation one day when I was uh, in San Francisco during a Pride weekend. And I had uh, cops that were going up the street one way as I was going down another way. And they actually went from a a two-way street where it turned into a one-way street uh, to going two ways, going the way opposite of traffic when it became one way. And they were going right by me, and they nearly hit me. And I was actually in a company car there for Sirius. And Mm -hmm. I had my window down, and I looked to the left, and saw them do this, and I was, and I, you know, think I uttered, and it wasn't like I was screaming at at them, but I uttered, you know, fucking idiot, you know, because they almost hit me. And I wasn't thinking about them being a police officer or anything. It was just, you know, kind of a gut reaction to somebody pulling a, you know, boneheaded move like that and putting, you know, people in traffic at risk. They pulled a U-turn, came right around behind me, turned on their lights, then came in two officers. One came up to each door, each side of the truck that I was in, and proceeded, uh, you know, to ask me, you know, do you have Tourette's? I'm like, what? And then I realized why they were asking that. Mm. And, you know, and I was like, no, I don't have Tourette's. I said, do you have a license to drive illegally on that street? And... Um, you know, and they told me, you know, you, you swore at us and, you know, uh, give me your license and registration. I'm like, for what? And, you know, it, it was, it was a time wasting event, but it, once again, it was, you know, it was law enforcement trying to, 
you know, exercise their power to do something when I have the freedom of speech to speak my mind. Well, I mean, so that is, I mean, that that is a separate topic from the other topic. And that is a topic that I think we could spend an entire show on, which is law enforcement abusing all kinds of actual privileges and rights all the time because there's no consequence for them. If they harass you, if they if they make your life hellish, if they pull you over, they waste your time, they, you know, maybe arrest you, you know, it could cost you your job, it costs you time, it costs you all kinds of things um, because you embarrass them or they perceive that you're not giving them their due, you know, respect. Um, they, there's not that much consequence for them. Um, you know, most people aren't going to go to the wall to sue them for, you know, false imprisonment or whatever. They, they rely on the fact that people are deferential to them. Um, and that's a big, again, you know, to go back to my civics class (laughs) that I want it to be mandatory is to part of that is what police are and aren't entitled to. And a lot of people are basically told by their parents, um, you know, the police are good. Um, give them, you know, obey them, give them what they want, uh, give them a wide berth and like, don't disparage them. Because again, post nine 11, anyone who's involved in the armed forces or law enforcement are quote heroes. And, you cannot do any you can't say boo about them because they're heroes and everything they do is heroic and that's like and they they kind of live on that you know if local law enforcement um you know if you listen to the the radio um they're treated with the the respect and deference of you know um you know marine Uh, you know shock forces it's just it's crazy yeah stay with us uh we've still got a few minutes to go in this edition of the gbc happy hour richie roy johnny mack with you seven six zero six seven seven zero one 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 if you want to join our conversation and when we continue We're going to talk a little bit about our recommendations and demerits in the GBC Happy Hour (sighs) book of good. Yeah, the seal of approval. Our uh, our book of uh, good and bad and indifferent (laughs) and evil uh, uh, recommendations for you. Stay with us. There's that and uh, some funky weather. Live once a week, but the happy hour is always available on demand as a podcast wherever you prefer to get them. The hosts will tell you where, if you ask nicely. The Labor Day <laughs> holiday is upon us. Anything special planned this weekend, Richie? <laughs> Anything special? Um, <laughs> I'm going back to the tire shop because I spent an inordinate amount of money to get the sensors fixed on my tires and then two days later uh, I got the little 
light on my dash again. So Uh-oh. I'm de- I'm dealing with that. Um, and uh, other than that, uh, just you know, I'm just staying close to home. I'm starting to feel like a hippie again. I'm going to get my hair cut tomorrow. Nice. And then Saturday, I'm going to go and spend an hour and a half with uh, Barbara Lee, who is running for Senate here in California. Uh, she's mm-hmm. going to be at my local library. I'm going to go see what she's got to say, even though I still plan on voting for Adam Schiff this year uh, huh. when we get uh, our very, 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 very senior senator out of uh, out of the uh, United States Capitol. Yeah. Um, and uh, I also have to do some work on a USC football game on Saturday. So mm. going to be a busy weekend. My birthday on Monday, the big 6-0. I can't believe it. I feel so old. I just want to kill myself. Wait, I no. shouldn't say that, but, you know, I think you know what I mean. It's just it, you really start to feel your, your uh, mortality when you hit those kinds of milestones. Well, uh, you know, my dad just turned 80 and he is, uh, he is as spry as ever. So, yeah, um, but I don't want to own not... any tractors. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Um, I was going to say, um, you know, I, you know, we're going into recommending recommendations and demerits. Uh, but before we get into that, I do want to actually um, <laughs> say for those who are listening live, I don't know if you've been listening to the um, the ads, but um, I've gotten to this point where radio ads, uh, which I used to, I mean, like, you know, I've listened to the radio for, for years and years and years. And um, I, I like a lot of ads, but um, there are some ads it, like when I listen to the radio in the morning uh, on my way to work and stuff. I've actually written to the radio station and complained about how stupid and annoying the ads are (laughs) because I don't know who is in charge of radio advertisement these days, but they are, they're always so irritating. Sometimes I think that the ad agencies want them to be irritating because they know that if the more it's like some that have these really horrible jingles and you mm-hmm. can't get them out of your head, and that's part of the psychology of the agency or, you know, the client. But you're right, and the ones that drive me crazy the most, and I hear them a lot because I listen to a lot of spoken word content on mm-hmm. satellite radio when I'm out in the car, and it's these ads that have all these AI voices. Mm. The the voiceovers are done by these AI robots, and they try and make it sound like they're not AI, like you know they really have human speaking characteristics, but they don't, and that makes it even more annoying to me. So anytime I hear an ad or I see some sort of a video on social media that's that is narrated by a AI voiceover, I will sometimes write to them and say I specifically will not buy your product right. or whatever because you use a fake computerized voice to try and sell me on it. Not even a real human being. Right. Yeah. Some of, ads like what? I was just going to say I kind of feel that, that fits in with the way things are going with this um, 
uh, writers and actors strike um, in Hollywood, you know, because. So there was such an interesting, uh, this is on this topic. I loved this decision. This came down, I think it was this week, um, that a judge ruled that AI content is not copyrightable. Interesting. Um, and the, the, the ruling was basically that um, that copyright, the essence of a copyright is is human creativity. And, um, you know, someone tried to copyright, you know, a, an image that they, they put a prompt into, you know, an AI program and it created a picture. And they were trying to copyright the picture. Hmm. And the decision was that that was not like that was not reflective of human creativity, which is in a sort of a bedrock of copyright. Yeah. So I think that actually is going to be a really interesting kind of this is like a first salvo in a dis, in a discussion and a sort of legal sort of sort of theoretical dispute that's going to be really, really interesting. And will have real life implications because you know, as you said, um, you know, companies like Netflix and, um, you know, the studios and stuff are even while they're having these um, strikes with the writers are listing um, very, very, very well compensated um, job openings for AI practitioners. Yeah. Um, you know, nine hundred thousand dollar a year type of jobs for people who can do AI. And what they're really trying to do is find a way to cut out the middleman and just can we just create content out of whole cloth via AI? Um, and one thing that but but again, what's interesting is like if if that's ultimately not copyrightable, that's not it's something that's copyable. And so yeah. if and that could have a really huge implication economically because what they create based on AI might not be something that they could prevent from being streamed, you know, by piraters. Yeah, so saw, it's really an interesting moment. I saw a really interesting um, clip uh, today, actually. I think it was from yesterday in a conversation that the Hollywood Reporter had with uh, Brian Cranston at a... Uh, picketing site in Hollywood yesterday and you know Cranston was talking about this thing that you know how you know how can you uh, I think it was right along that line about how can you copyright something that is um, curated by a computer not by a human being so he said human being is going to be written into virtually every contract going forward where they're not going to sign Right, because the thing is, like, what what they can do, and you know, I there was a, a very ex interesting, um, I think it was Planet Money, either Planet Money or Marketplace or something on NPR, um, did a segment where they basically, um, I think it was Planet Money, they contracted with a company that does bespoke AI uh, bots, and they they took. Uh, one of I think it's Robert Krolwich, one of their kind of like you know long time hosts, and basically said, "Here's all here's all the tapes. Create a bot or create an AI, and 
they created a whole episode of the show that was written by AI and voiced by AI using an AI version of his voice. And it was eerily good. And so what the actors are worried about is things like if they have, you know, enough footage of an actor saying enough words right. and with enough poses, so they can, they can emulate just, it. They can just create whole stuff yeah. without the actor being involved at all. Right. Um, and that's not in the realm of impossibility now. It's actually completely in the realm of possibility and, and is happening. No, I know um, I know people in radio who are using uh, tools where they can then go in and they can edit stuff that they've done and maybe they have a lot of ands and ums and things like that or they said the wrong words at the wrong place and they can go in and they can type it and because it's already done the the print of the voice with enough audio uh, that's been stored in the system with that person's voice that they can actually go in and make corrections by simply typing the corrections and the edited audio comes out in their voice saying the corrected thing. And while that seems like a great tool for people to be able to use to help clean up their own stuff, I don't think anybody else should be able to use their voice in that way. Well, one thing I know is that if you ever hear an episode of The Happy Hour and... I'm not constantly saying um and uh. <laughs> just be just be mindful because Johnny Mac may have replaced me with a bot because <laughs> that's the tell. That's the tell that you're hearing my true self is that I'm constantly saying um and uh. So Believe me, just keep that in mind. If, if you're going to hear it, the only thing I'm going to spend time on is going to be replacing me. <laughs> to be maybe a little more perfect. And a little <laughs> less losing my mind like I did in the last segment looking for a sentence. And all of a sudden, I'm having a Mitch McConnell moment. <laughs> that, my friends, is going to do it not only for tonight, but for the next couple of weeks. Because next Thursday, on the 7th of September, we're not going to have a live show. Uh, both Richie and myself have other obligations on that evening. I'm actually going under the uh, knife of a surgeon that day and Richie has other business so we have decided to postpone next week's show the live show but we'll be back with you in two weeks on the 14th of September with our next live edition of the GBC happy hour Richie have a great holiday weekend and I look forward to seeing you soon absolutely happy birthday thank you <laughs> 